in the beginning, begin with Zeus on every man's lips. The streets are full of Zeus and all the marketplaces. The sea is full of him and the harbors. All of us need Zeus everywhere we go. For Zeus has fathered us all and smiles on us all and shows us his kindness and sends us off to our work, reminding us what must be done. He tells us when to yoke up oxen, when to hoe, when to sow seed, and what to plant. For it was Zeus who gave us the heavens and divided the sky into stars and shaped each star differently and then made each star point to a season so men could read his heavens and understand and all things could grow as they should. We pray to him first, we pray to him last. Hail Father, wonder worker, men's great blessing. Hail to you and to those who came before you. And hail gentle muses, smiling on men. Guide my song, help me, for I bow to you and pray. Hello again, my electrifying thunderbolts. My name is Jessie, and welcome to another installment of Tea with the Gods. The poem I just read to you is called In the Beginning, and it is by the ancient Greek poet named Aratus. I decided to start with this poem because it was the main inspiration for me to begin my year and this series honoring the big guy himself, Zeus. Also, it's customary to begin any devotional act with a small prayer. So now that I recited that poem, this episode is officially a devotional act to Zeus. I hope I make you proud, Big Papa. After making the decision to begin with Zeus, I realized that it's not only natural to begin with the king of the gods himself, but it's kind of necessary. There's no way to discuss the other Olympians, and honestly much of the pantheon, without mentioning Zeus. He, in a sense, is the connecting figure of the majority of our religion. He's the foundation in which the whole structure of the Olympian world is built upon. So regardless of how you personally feel about Zeus, understanding and knowing him is essential to understanding and knowing Hellenic polytheism. This episode will serve as an introduction to Zeus, and also a bit of my own personal views of him and his role within our religion. My hope is to open your mind to who Zeus actually is as opposed to what our society tries to make him into. And perhaps this episode and the others to come may inspire you not only to do your own further research, but maybe even to reach out to Zeus yourself. I think the best place to start this journey we're about to embark on is at the beginning with Zeus's origin myth. I'm going to give sort of the short version, so I encourage you to read it for yourself to get all the finer details. The story begins with Zeus's parents, the Titans Kronos and Rhea. After overthrowing his own father, Oranos, we'll revisit that story when we discuss a certain banging booty goddess. Kronos received a prophecy from his own parents, Gaia and Oranos, that he would suffer the same fate that he enacted on his father. His own son would rise up and overthrow him because apparently it's family tradition now. Some families have Sunday dinners. This one has father and son power struggles. So to keep the prophecy from being fulfilled, Kronos had a brilliant idea. 
Your children can't overthrow you if they live inside your tummy. Insert meme here. You know the one. Each child Rhea birthed, Chrono swallowed. Hestia, Demeter, Hera, Hades, and Poseidon. In that order. Pregnant with her sixth child, Rhea was D-O-N-E done. She shook her fist to the heavens and declared, Not this time, bitch. Not today. At least that's how I imagine it. So after giving birth, Rhea hid the baby and instead gave Kronos a baby-sized rock, which he swallowed without issue. Because, you know, rocks and babies, they're exactly the same. Now I'm sure by this point you are all well aware who the secret baby is. But if not, spoiler alert, it's Zeus. Wow, what a twist. Did not see that coming. M. Night, you did it again. So there are many different variations of the myth on how and who and even where Zeus was raised. None of it is really that important or super irrelevant, though I do love the detail of Zeus being guarded by these warriors when he was a baby. Their shields clashing during their battle dancing was used to drown out baby Zeus's crying. Again, not relevant to the story, just a pretty cool detail that I enjoy. Okay, so fast forward to when Zeus is a grown-ass man and decides he's going to keep up the family tradition of overthrowing fathers. He enlists the help of the Titan Metis. Remember her, because she's going to show up when we talk about a head-splitting goddess. Metis feeds Kronos a drug that causes him to regurgitate all the children he swallowed in the opposite order that he swallowed them in, starting with the baby stone. See, I knew you were all sitting there like, but Jesse, what about the baby stone? He's fine, so no need to worry. Zeus shows up like Madison Montgomery in American Horror Story Coven, all, Surprise, bitch! You swallowed the baby stone, not baby me! And then the Titan War begins. The most important aspect of the Titan War, other than obvious, the victory for the Olympians, is that it is during this war that Zeus gets his epic lightning and thunder power. To aid his cause, Zeus releases a bunch of monsters from Tartarus, among them being the Cyclops, who were so grateful to Zeus for freeing them that they gave him the power of lightning and thunder, which is probably one of history's most badass thank you gifts. The Olympians, of course, proved victorious, and Zeus locked the Titans up in Tartarus. Then Zeus, Poseidon, and Hades drew lots to see who would rule over what part of the world, which I always thought was pretty interesting and kind of fair on Zeus's part, because if I was Zeus, I'd be like, um, yeah, you would be inside Dad's stomach still if it wasn't for me, so crown it! Though it works out in his favor anyway, since he gets control of the heavens. Cool bro Poseidon gets the sea, and super nerd Hades gets to be goth in the underworld. Okay, now that you know the origins of Zeus, let's dive into the realms he rules over. The most well-known association for Zeus is, of course, the lightning bolt and his rule over weather. The origin myth explains both of these associations, the lightning bolt given to him as a thank you gift from the Cyclops for their freedom, and rule over weather because the sky is his realm. There's not really much to say about this, especially since it's the most well-known anyway, so we'll move on. The realm I find to be probably Zeus's most important, yet also the most downplayed in the modern world, is the realm of law and order, not the TV show. Well, actually, yes, the TV show. It's probably his favorite show. This association is one of the reasons why I said it's nearly impossible to talk about the rest of the pantheon without first discussing Zeus. 
Yes, part of it is because he's fathered and or screwed most of the pantheon. Is it hubris to use the word screwed when talking about the gods? But it's also because Zeus shows up in many other myths in his role as mediator or exactor of justice. This side of Zeus is actually my favorite side and one that I think needs to be acknowledged and known, especially for those of you who are iffy on him. He didn't just inherit this role because he's essentially head of the household. I mean, yeah, that's important. But going back to the origin myth, I pointed out how cool I thought it was that Zeus drew lots with his brothers to determine who got the realms. He really could have staked claim on the sky and told his brothers to fight him if they disagreed, but he didn't. Why? Because Zeus represents what is fair, what is right, and what is just. That's why he rules over law and order, because it's who he is. And you can further see this in other myths, such as having Paris decide who the golden apple should be awarded to, having Hermes give Apollo back his cattle, and the splitting of time for both Demeter, Persephone, and Hades, as well as Aphrodite, Persephone, and Adonis. Zeus having the status that he does could have came to any conclusion that he wanted to in these instances, yet the vibe I get from the stories is that he really does try to listen to both sides and make a decision that he feels is fair. I think it's also important to remember that what is considered just and fair in not only ancient Greek society, but in the world of the divine can be different than the modern world. You have to keep that in mind while you're reading these myths. So Zeus may come across as cruel and quite possibly unfair in our modern mortal eyes, and sometimes that's actually the point. Much of the importance of the myths is to remind us of what the gods are capable of and to warn us not to cross them. But other times I really believe it's to emphasize his role as the exactor of justice. It's putting the exclamation point on it. It's saying this is what Zeus does, it's who he is, and he takes it very seriously. Another important realm of Zeus is his title as the father of us all. This is probably the most misunderstood aspect of Zeus and the one that contributes to all the issues most people have with him. See, here's the thing. You don't become the almighty father by only having a handful of kids. Part of that role is to showcase his fertility and spread his seed. I know in the mindset of today that's very outdated, but again, we have to remember that we're talking about ancient Greece. Children were important in ancient Greek society and the more the better. And for those who were high in status, they tended to have many children, mainly because they had many women. So it made sense for Zeus, who is literally the highest power in the world, to have many, 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 many children. When looking at it from the mind of an ancient Greek, it's basically what is expected of Zeus, and it would be strange if he didn't fulfill that. But of course for us it's odd and might not sit well. Our modern world has redefined what it means to be a father, not requiring biology to play factor. So for us, Zeus wouldn't need to sire many offsprings to fulfill his role as father to us all. Instead, he would just need to possess certain qualities that we associate with fathers, such as being protective and making us feel safe. Which for me personally, he does possess those qualities. His energy reminds me very much of my own father, which is why I associate him being the almighty father. I think that's the key. 
While it's good to see things from the perspective of the ancient Greeks so you can understand the whys of it all, I think it's critical to find these associations in your own way, in your own life. Find the ways in which they are real and true to you, not just because you read it in a book or because I told you it was so. Going back to the origin myth, it's important to point out that it's not just about the birth of Zeus. It's also about the transition from one divine power to another. This shows how essential Zeus is to our world because he's basically the one who created it. His birth was a catalyst that set into motion the destruction of one world and the establishment of a new one. This is why Zeus is at the head of the table and viewed not only as king, but as father. He pretty much fathered an entire new era for the gods and for us. So it's not just about him physically fathering children. His role as ultimate dad really started before he even fathered any children. It began when he fulfilled the prophecy and overthrew his own father. Okay, so I know what you're thinking right now. Jesse, I don't have a problem with Zeus having many children. It's how he got those children that bother me. And you're right. The biggest issue people have with Zeus isn't that he's fathered enough children to fill an infinite amount of Trojan horses. It's the way in which those children were conceived that makes people uncomfortable, which is completely understandable, and I promise you we're going to discuss it in next week's episode. The last realm I'm going to discuss is probably Zeus's least known, and that's ruler of destiny and fate. A lot of this rulership has to do with his relationship to the Moirai, or the fates. Some sources have Zeus as their father, others don't, but regardless of the relationship, it is said that Zeus holds the fates in high regards and keep them close to him. Because of this, it is believed that Zeus knows all that the fates know, which allows him to enact destiny himself. And Zeus kind of does enact destiny himself. He did so when he overthrew Kronos, who was desperately trying to run away from his destiny. One can also argue that exactor of justice and of fate can go hand in hand. I think it depends on whether you want to look at something as simply a punishment or as something that was fated to happen. But either way, since Zeus is the one making the decisions, in a sense he is exacting fate. And isn't everything in the myths about fate and destiny and prophecy? Nothing with the gods ever seemed to be just a thing that happened. There was always a prophecy stating that this thing was destined to happen, and of course, no matter what you do, you're going to end up doing the thing that was fated to be done. So I think with how significant concepts like destiny and fate are to the ancient Greeks, and if we go by the myths, the gods as well, it would make sense that they would belong in the realm of Zeus, the one who's probably seen as able to handle that kind of power. Apollo being the god of prophecy is the only other one trusted with that kind of power. Him and Zeus have the same epithet that is derived from the Moirai themselves. And nope, don't ask, I'm not pronouncing it, but it translates to leader or guide of fate. Some believe that Zeus being the one who knows what the fates know is the source of Apollo's powers of prophecy. Alright, I think that about wraps up this episode. I know it was kind of short, but this was meant to give you a taste of what Zeus is about. The next episode is going to be longer and go into way more detail since we'll be discussing Zeus's sexual escapades and using those stories to figure out how we should approach the myths in our worship. 
And I think after that, I'm going to do an episode on how to go about worshiping Zeus. I feel like I might end each month with an episode like that for each god so that you all can feel equipped to at least begin a worship with any of the gods discussed. But I guess we'll see. Feel free to give me any suggestions on topics or the kinds of information you'd like to have me discuss, whether it be a specific deity or worship in general. And as always, you can follow me and Mukiti on Twitter, Tea with the Gods, and Tumblr and Instagram, The Pastel Priestess, for more Hellenic themed content, as well as witchy shit, life advice, Sailor Moon, and my corny ass jokes. Since this is a special episode dedicated to Big Papa himself, I'm going to leave you all with a short prayer that you can find in the book Pure Pagan. Zeus, King, give us good even if we don't pray for it, and give us nothing evil even if that is what we pray for. <laughs>